Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Believe in a power greater than what you are going through when you don't. That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles, welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at caregiverdave.com, along with my lovely co-host, former mayor of a California beach town, best-selling author, Debbie Peterson. We're coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio podcasts and networks, 26 global audio and video platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud. You take a breath. Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio, CastBox, Mixed—I mean, the list goes on and on. I'm not going to bore you. In fact, we're proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast on Feedspot out of thousands, and number one caregiver podcast on Player FM of the top fifty. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today. Darlene, which say that again? Fuchs. Fuchs. Why couldn't I remember that? Darlene Fuchs. <laughs> The compelling voice behind Get in the Boat, a memoir of love, loss, and the dance with dementia, explores unfiltered emotions of caregiving revealed in her father's unfiltered journals. Through compelling storytelling, she invites readers on an intimate voyage, shedding light on the complexities of love and loss amidst the tumultuous currents of dementia. I'm dealing with that right now with my aunt, and it is tumultuous. (laughs) Her narrative offers a profound glimpse into the challenges of caregiving, providing a tender portrayal of a husband navigating the complexities of tending to his wife. But before we get started, I do want to take this moment to thank my last week's guest, Dr. Bradley Nelson, Trapped Emotions and the Six Underlying Causes of Disease. And just to remind you, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews on our membership website, caregiverday.com, or any of our other 26 global networks that I mentioned earlier. All right, enough of that. Darlene, welcome to the Caregiver Dave Show. We are so excited to have you on. I'm excited to be here, Dave. Oh, good. It's great when we're both excited. And I'm sure Debbie's excited. (laughs) (laughs) I like to ask my guests just, who is Darlene Fuchs, right? Yeah, I am still trying to figure a lot of that out. (laughs) Darlene Fuchs, and why was she placed on this earth? Okay. What I thought I was initially, um, a, a mom, a corporate Person, fire, real estate, all those things that I thought were important. I ended up finally realizing when I grew up that they really weren't that important. Mm. So, um, That's called wisdom. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had learned it way, way earlier. <laughs> I'm just before my 70s, so it's like, oh, no, I, I would like to have had about 20 more years of, before that. But, you know, I like to think of myself as, as hope. Um, I, I was there for the people that I worked with. Um, I always felt that I gave a sense of hope. Um, I'm not always hopeful for myself. I'm still trying to learn that. I'm very good when it comes to hope for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always learned that, um, I always thought that faith would get me out of difficult situations, but as I've gone through life, I'm, I'm only finding that felt faith helps me handle my situation. Mm-hmm. And I've gone through, been thrown in like many caregivers into a caregiving role 
at different points in my life, um, whether it was to my in-laws um, suffering from cancer in different situations, my three and a half year old grandson who also passed from a brain cancer. Oh. I thought things were all over, Dave. I got, my mom came back from living on the East Coast out here to Illinois and uh, found out real quick that she was having a problem with dementia and needed oh. that my dad could give her. So you're, I, you're like, you're like Joe, just one thing after the other, huh? Yeah, just don't send all the bugs. I'm not into that. <laughs> not into that. So I I found I found out that, you know, pain continues on even as we lose people. And mm -hmm. it's our faith that gets us through the pain. It doesn't take it away. Yes. It just gets us through. So I think my role in this world is, if nothing else, is to give hope, but to give compassion, and to give guidance where I have found myself searching for answers and now if i have them i can hopefully guide other people through that journey so they get through a little bit quicker mm -hmm. so even though the road's not easy at times i'm grateful when i can touch someone else's life it's like that's that's my purpose is that it just i i'm here to, to help and to and to give hope and compassion so you wrote the book get in the boat which is a curious title i can think that it might mean a million different things what motivated you to write it and why the title the title was from my father um when he was taking care of, of my mom living in an assisted living facility two minutes from me uh, he ended up having a lady named Helen Brown who did um, different teaching for caregivers throughout the community. And he once told her, he had, she had read his journals and he said, you know, caregiving is like being in a boat. With Gail, with her dementia, I can't pull the boat. I can't push the boat. All I can do is sit in with her and I could kind of use the oars to navigate around rough waters. But she's the captain of that boat so i'm just sitting in it hmm. right Interesting. He passed away he had said please turn these journals into a book and this is what i want the name of the book to be oh. That's wow. debbie you got anything uh, you want to ask well before the show we were talking about how you progressed to being a caregiver and the very many iterations i wonder maybe you could um explain some of those to or, or kind of tell that story to some of the listeners um caregiving in the book that i'm writing is about dementia but caregiving in general covers anyone that needs help and you're the person taking care of them so I found on my caregiving journey, if that's what we want to call it, is taking care of a father-in-law that had progressive liver cancer and stayed with us 24-7, listening to baby monitors, wondering if he was still breathing. And when that was my first very experience with caregiving. After that, um, my mother-in-law, because of the loss of him and not having anyone really to socialize with, we found it necessary to take a complete different turn, and she went into um, a facility that had independent, assisted, and full care facilities. And she transitioned through those as she got older and became more ill. So I, I had to go through the whole thing of how do you deal with other caregivers? How do you navigate that 
and become a team concept to take care of her. Thought that was over. And then my daughter had um, my grandson and found out that at three years old, he had medulloblastoma, which is cancer on the brainstem. And now I'm trying to help her navigate that for six months before he passed of how to best be a caregiver to a child. Completely different. Um, they are definitely not as demanding. Uh, thank God for technology and the iPad because that kept them focused through some traumatic situations. And once again, thinking that was done, my mom and dad, uh, dad decided that he would move back to Illinois to be close to me and ended up, I found out my mom had dementia. So I went down that whole journey and found that that was a very difficult road to go down. But we made it through faith and through perseverance. Yeah. Right. I, have, I have to ask, how did your uh, is it your daughter who had the child who, uh, yeah. how, how did she, and how is she, um, handling the death of a three-year-old? I, I, I can't even imagine my three-year-old granddaughter leaving us. She's like the light of our, our, uh, the world revolves around her and, and how are they doing? In nine years. So Noah would be, um, nine years. Wow. Be 12 on April 13th. And, um, <laughs> I'll tell you, the, the worst thing as being a parent um, caregiver to um, a child that's lost their child, I was always, as a mom, able to get a Band-Aid out, put a Band-Aid on, give a couple kisses, and everything was going to be all right. This was the first time as a once-removed, I call it, caregiver, where you're not just helping to take to take care of the, the child that's sick, but your own child is in need of care. And I found as a grandparent, there was no time for me to take care of myself unless it was in the shower, just letting everything go. And to this day, I think I still miss Noah a lot, but I think the hardest part still is to see my child suffering and still trying to navigate it. There's not much I can do, but be able to listen yeah. for her. So, so it's really still affecting her after nine years. It is. They just moved uh, six months ago to Tennessee because of her husband's <clears throat> work. So I'm hoping they get somewhat of a new start. I know those waves of emotion, you become used to those, but mm -hmm. sometimes you can hit, be hit with a tsunami. And that's when <laughs> She has other children? Yeah, my 13-year-old uh, granddaughter, yeah. Um, how did it affect her faith? My kids have faith that's unbelievable. I'll be honest. Uh, my dad was a pastor and a missionary, so I always thought my faith was strong. But when it came to some of these moments, I was one of the first ones to question my faith. And mm. I don't know, I... I don't believe it was myself raising my kids the right way. I think God just stepped in and that was the one thing that was able to get me through a lot of times is to be able to focus on them and to see how strong their strength was. And if they mm. So your daughter had, had great faith. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. A tragedy can either make you bitter or better. As Joyce Meyer says, and yeah, you know, my I've had my own tragedies, and my wife had a stroke. 
lost her speech, paralyzed on one side, still after 27 years, can't talk, can't walk. But, you know, we, we navigate it, and it, I don't know how I would have done it without my faith. A lot of people don't understand how you do it, you know. But, you know, God gives you tailor-made trials uh, and grace to handle them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, nobody else could handle what I'm handling. I probably can't handle what, what they're handling. But, uh, you know, I don't have to. It, I, you handle what you have to handle and what God gives you grace for. Debbie? Well, and thank God, Dave, that your wife is still with us and is still that vibrant, wonderful, happy, at least when I've been around her, (laughs) charming, delightful woman. Um, You'll see I'm I'm wiping away tears um, because I have very close family friends who had a son who died of the same thing about 12 years ago, and the tears don't go away. And I didn't expect to be crying through this interview, but I, it, that that grief is so overwhelming when it happens to dear friends as well. Yeah. And I find it amazing, um, you know, <clears throat> are not always easy, but we have to be grateful for the opportunity that we have to make it through. And then because of that, to be a testimony to help others uh, to touch their life and make it make it through. And I don't know about you, Dave and and Debbie, but when you've been through some kind of a tragedy and you give someone else a hug, it's totally different if they've been through something too than someone that hugs you and says, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. You feel it. I don't care how many years it's been, you know, you understand. Yeah, and and there's something about... Sorry, Dave, what was that? I was just saying I'm going through that with my aunt who's who's in the hospital now, she has dementia, but she broke her ankle in five places. And now, you know, we have to take her out of her home and she lived with her boyfriend. And so we're going to, we're trying to get them both approved for medic medical Medicaid so that we can put them in this very nice assisted living place in Glendale where my mother was. And, uh, you know, they're just a cute little couple who love each other. She's 84, he's 88. And they're like the two in the notebook, you know, so, but but it's tragedy. It's tragic watching them and watching her go through the mental decline, you know. And he's he's suffering a little from it too. But you know what? Together, they're one, and they they help each other, and they need each other. And I'm not going to separate them. So. I think that there's so much to be said, <clears throat> and I know we we've had family tragedies where a a nephew was killed in a car accident at the age of 27, and it's devastating. And and I'm still devastated. His parents are still devastated. You don't really ever get over those kinds of things. And what I what I know is that if you can sit with people, even as we are in a podcast, if you that all people really need a lot of times is simply to have you there, simply to have you sitting with them. Um and of course, the hugs make a huge difference too. But just yeah. being there, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to know what to say. Just your presence can be so helpful. Yeah. So, Darlene, how can caregivers best support seniors facing dementia? I mean, it's different than a stroke. It's different than, you know, broken ankle. It's different than Parkinson's. It's in its own category. Uh, and I used to think a stroke was the worst thing in the world it happened to a person because they can't speak. They know what they want to say. They can't speak. But no, it's dementia now where you do, you don't even know what's going on. Uh, explain. 
In my mom's case, um, she had frontal lobe dementia, and she lost her ability to speak very early on. Mm. Um, it was her cognitive ability. She was always the bookkeeper at home. Her ability to balance a checkbook, things like that, were they went out the window pretty quick. Mm. Um, but her ability to communicate was so difficult. She would yeah. And I swear, if we can translate the hieroglyphics on, you know, these pyramids, why can't, you know, be able to get someone to translate what it is that they're saying? Yeah, like, or, or make I, a backup of our brain and then download it in case something like this happens. Why can't they do that? You do it to a computer. Right. But as far as what caregivers can do, I always say, first thing is you can, and it's, it's for yourself and it's for the person you're taking care of is establish some kind of a routine. Um, if you don't have a routine, everything is going to be overwhelming. Um, and that in itself makes the one that you're taking care of feel very insecure. So creating that sense of security, letting them feel secure, <clears throat> very important. Even if they're not able to speak to you or they keep asking the same question or they're agitated, a lot of it is because they're afraid. They're, they're, they are just as unsure of what the future is going to bring as each one of us is. And every case of dementia is so different. Um, clear communication, if you can, get down to their level. Give them eye-to-eye -eye contact. Keep the questions very simple with a yes and no, if you can do that. Wait, be patient, answer because they're not always going to be able to answer you quickly and you may have to repeat it. Um, mm -hmm. Little things like they pick up on our facial, um, you know, uh, abilities to, they know if we're not smiling or if we're agitated, our gestures that we use, make sure that you're in check because even though you think they might not hear it in your voice or see it, they do <clears throat> pick up on that. And you have to get for yourself as the caregiver and for them physical activity, whether it's putting them in a wheelchair, taking them for a walk, getting fresh air for both people so that you can get away and have a little bit of respite time together. I think that's very important. Um, you know, it's just all of those things and some of them don't work. It's trial and error. You can have a whole lot of things and find Five things that work for you might not work for the next person, but it's worthwhile yeah. to keep trying. So what what are the chapters in your book? I mean, is there a chapter on how to keep caregivers safe in the home, how to make your home safe, and what else is in there? This is not a textbook. It was literally taken from <laughs> six years of my dad's journaling. Um, mm. I took 12 spiral-wound books and gave them to someone to type up because I couldn't read his writing. Well, give us an example of, a, of one of his journals. Um, the very first chapter starts oh. out what a typical day would be like for my mom. Um, mm. A lot about pooping and having to her hallucinating. <laughs> and one of the very th big things that you'll find that are ongoing in the book is what I call TTT, which is touch, travel, and talk because there were there is so much in dementia where they are constantly on the move, touching things, traveling, moving things, babbling. And a lot of it is, from my dad's perspective, 
I found out things about my dad as a female that I didn't necessarily want to know, but um, how men deal with the lack of intimacy with their wife. And he went into a lot of that and how he was able to make what we might think as non-intimate um, moments, very intimate for both mm. of them. So it really goes into some of the non-traditional things that caregivers face because he was journaling on his experience for 24-7 for six years. So um, it's different. Well, what would you like to talk about that we haven't discussed yet before we wrap it up? You know, a lot of people um, go through the, why is it so hard to be a caregiver? And I found this with my dad. He used to golf all the time. He gave it up when he took care of my mom. And I kept trying him to encourage him. But it would always be his feeling that he needed to be in charge. No one was going to give the quality of care to my mom that he was giving. Um, or I, he couldn't stop worrying. What if I'm gone and I'm not there and something happens? Or... The guilt halfway through his golf game saying, no, I can't finish my golf game because um, I'm, I'm, I shouldn't be doing this. I should be back home. So I would say to caregivers that you have to get rid of that initial caregiver mindset, even if you're exhausted. People may assume they can do everything for a short period, but dementia is not something that is going to be here for a week or a year. Sometimes it's many, many years, and that's not sustainable. So you do need to find a way to find help. And as far as the worrying that he had about not being there, if something would happen, you can't be there 24-7. An emergency may happen no matter if you're you know, down to take a lunch or you're running to the bank. So you have to put that to the back and realize that Yes, your loved one does depend on you, but when it comes right down to it, you need to be somewhat selfish about taking care and time for yourself because only then can you be the best caregiver for the person that you're responsible yeah. for. Debbie, you got anything? Well, just a big thank you. You've given us some incredibly practical tips that are, are really helpful. And, and I, I've been taking notes. If you see me looking down, it's because I'm typing in my phone. <laughs> Thank you. So, so how difficult was it to take the journals and just, you know, transcribe them into the book? Did they need some, some help and, you know, uh, tweaking to make it into a story or how, how to, what is it? Is it a story? How did you do it? So I took what was the journal and I, that would not be because it's every day what happened. Sure. I had to take it and put it into what I would think would be chapters, interesting chapters, and then take parts of that journal. And as I went through it, highlight it in different colors. So I knew which parts would go to which chapter. And so you then, did a lot of organizing. You had to do a lot of organizing. Synchronizing, yes. Otherwise, it would it wouldn't have been a mess. Yeah. Well, good, good for you. Thank you for that. And I always tell caregivers journal because you never know it may be the next book, you know. And um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I really appreciate it. It was a great show, and I just can't believe how fast this time has gone. So 
Um, how can our listeners get a hold of you, Darlene, if they want to pick your brain? The best way is to go to the website, get in the boat. Get in the boatbook.com. And from there, you'll find Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, all the different links. The book is on Amazon. So you can look up, get in the boat, and you'll find it there. And um, yeah, I've been, I'm on so many Facebook sites answering people's questions, but really, you can't just do a thumbs up or a thumbs down. It doesn't work for me anymore. So is this your first book? This is my first book. Yeah. Will there be another one? Not on this specific, but there is another one in the making. Got the author in you going, huh? Yes, it did. Well, again, a reminder, all our live shows become recorded pod and video casts on all our platforms mentioned before, like, uh, you know, YouTube and such. Um, MyCaregiverDave.com uh, is a free membership support community. Helps people uh, with free gifts, resources, videos, etc., and uh, even free coaching call. So please click the like or follow button below on whatever platform you're watching or listening to this interview on. It helps us reach even more caregivers by improving Google search engine algorithms. And don't forget my Facebook page, Caregiver Dave, uh, 34,000. Just uh, It's a support group. If you want to talk with other caregivers, uh, like-minded, sometimes that's the best way to get through the day. Just realize you're not the only one going through this, and it's normal. <laughs> so to all my listeners out there, thanks again for tuning in each and every week. Every time, uh, same time, same channel. And uh, may God richly bless you. Bye-bye. Anytime we suffer loss, we grieve. And a lot of people don't realize what even the grief process is. But it could be five to seven steps ranging from denial. I don't believe this is happening. Anger. Oh my gosh, I'm so upset this is happening. To a form of bargaining, how can I get out of this? To depression, which is a very serious thing because that often leads to suicide. And then finally, finally, after you realize you have no more control over your situation and you're totally okay with the new normal that it brings, that wonderful, wonderful place called acceptance. Thank you.